Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I am very excited to be joined by best-selling author and writer Raven Smith. Raven is a former columnist for Vogue and the Sunday Times Style. His new book, Trivial Pursuits, covers everything from the cultural capital of being tall to what you can tell about a person from the contents of their fridge. He joined me on the show to discuss the ways in which we present a version of ourselves on dating apps. Enjoy the show. Hi, Raven. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Um, um, I like to say I'm always good. It's it, like it, um, it comes true if you keep saying it. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good. That's a very good approach. Uh, how have you yeah. been finding lockdown? Whereabouts are you? I've just moved back into my house, which has been renovating for eight months. Um, and my cat got sick. It's a long story, but we're back a bit early. So I'm sort of traipsing the echoey halls of my lovely shaped house that had no painted walls. <laughs> oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. And how are, you, how are you dealing with quarantine? How have you found it? Um, all of the thing, all of my coping strategies at the beginning, because we're on in week a gazillion now but all those early things like cooking and yoga really lost their shine at about week nine so <laughs> i'm now just waiting for my identity to come back in some way i know what you mean when it first happened i was quite enjoying all of the zoom workouts and the group house party chats with friends and yeah. drinks and now all of that is just like completely gone to shit I just cannot be bothered to talk no. to anyone no. on a house party I can't bother to exercise it's just it's just all I'm really sick of it now I'm yeah I was quite I was quite enjoying getting drunk and even that is no use to me anymore <laughs> there's yeah no there's only there's only so many in. times you can enjoy getting drunk in your kitchen yeah uh or in your garden you know yes. as you now can with a few <laughs> friends yeah but yeah um, so your book, Trivial Pursuits, is a very funny exploration of the minutiae of modern life. So for those who aren't familiar with your writing, could you start us off by telling us a bit about the book and what made you want to write it? Yeah, so I was writing a weekly Vogue column and an editor from Fourth Estate got in touch and said, do you think you could ever write a book? And my immediate answer was absolutely not. That's crazy. It's not, <laughs> I feel like a lot of writers have this lifelong dream of this book that's living within them w w waiting to be expressed on the page but that unfortunately or fortunately wasn't my experience um so I met with this editor and she basically all of the worries I had about um writing longer chapters you know I'm very used to writing 600 words and moving on so all of all of the things I was worried about she sort of dispelled in a in a kind of great fantastic first date uh, and I pitched her two books. The first one was Trivial Pursuits, and they, and then the, the the rest is history. I think for me, the book is about 
the endeavor for me, what I find interesting about the way we live today is how important all the small stuff seems to be. Um, and we've, we've kind of become a culture of broadcasting everything in our lives. So suddenly it has a different meaning. You know, our houses and our interiors aren't private in the way that they used to be. The clothes we wear, it's you don't go clubbing to show off your going out top. You just do a selfie. So I think for me, it, it, it's really interesting how all those small things have become, are so important to us. And at the same time, although I realise that big things like pandemics and famine and war are hugely important they also can be very abstract if you're not um kind of in the midst of it so i wanted to talk about being in the midst of my life right now and all of the and, and train an eye on the things that felt significant in some way i think it's really interesting what you say about broadcasting everything and oversharing because particularly the impact that that has on dating culture Mm. because obviously we live in a world now where nothing is private and everything about us is probably searchable online. Yeah. And, and that has a big impact when we date someone, particularly in the early stages, isn't it? And I know you write about this in the book. So I want to talk to you a bit about dating apps and social media stalking. Mm. So you met your husband in 2009, right? Oh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's interesting because that, that's the same year that Grindr launched, but it does predate the kind of boom of dating apps like Tinder, which launched in 2012, and Instagram, which launched in 2010. So you write at the time when you started dating him, you couldn't miss Marple the people you dated on your phone. Okay. So I want you to talk, talk to me a bit about that because obviously now the second you meet someone you fancy, the first thing most people do is look them up on social media. Yeah, I think for me, when I first met my husband, oh God, on the night bus, at the back of the night bus, which would, even with Uber culture, would never happen now. Um, I found his Facebook page and there were like 12 tagged pictures of him in a carousel. And I remember going round and round on it, trying to get a kind of view of this man that I was interested in. And I, and I think it was much harder. I don't do it so much now, right? So I haven't dated anyone for 10 years, but I, when I meet new people, I look at like their tag pictures. I can see their history. I can see their how they're feeling today and 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 that for the last week and the last month and however long right back to the summer that they were 16 and on the arches and lemonade in Newquay so there's a level at which when I met my husband he remained there was a lot of mystery between us um and I, I think that is something that has really that has definitely died down I don't know if that's for for the better or for the worse I also think that there's, there's always now this you inevitably have to send a nude to somebody with the, online, <laughs> I've heard. So it seems very, I, I mean, I, we didn't even have adequate tools to shoot pictures of our own genitals at that point. So it's quite, it's quite good to, uh, so, so it was all in the moment, which was quite nice. Yeah, it's interesting, the mystery thing, isn't it? Because it's so funny when you stalk someone on social media before you meet them, you obviously go into a date kind of armed with all of this intel on them. Yeah. And I always find with that, you know, even if it's not someone romantic, even if it is a friend, like you said, or someone you're just interested in talking to or meeting or knowing more about, you meet them and then they might start talking about, you know, 
uh, which school they went to. And you can't then be like, oh yeah, I know because I saw it yeah. on your LinkedIn page. Yeah. You have to pretend <laughs> that you have no idea and it's new information. And it's this really inauthentic kind of veil from the get-go, particularly in dating. And I do actually think that that is quite damaging. And I think you lose, you lose you, that kind of spontaneity, don't you? I think when you're first with someone, it's such a delicate dance and such a very small things can send it awry. So I think that kind of keep keeping things nice and flowing is a, is a huge part of it. I meet people all the time. And when I tell them I'm renovating my house, they'll say, I know. And then I'll just not know what to say to that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's weird, like, isn't oh, it? Right, yeah. It's like, like it's almost about it. It's almost the closest thing that we have to feeling like a celebrity, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, obviously celebrity fans know everything, you know, that is available online about that celebrity. Yeah. And, but it feels quite strange when someone confronts you with what they know about you or what they think they know about you. It used to be very, very odd. And now I just pretend it's not. <laughs> just like when you could, I just remember, you know, in not that long ago when you, would see someone wearing headphones talking out loud, that being a very weird thing, and you thinking they were talking to you. So this, this complete normalization of people talking out loud as they're walking around on their own, you know, it's the same level of kind of, we've just acclimatized very quickly to this sharing culture. And I think there's a, there's a we're encouraged to do it. It's not a, it's almost gone beyond a conscious choice. You just automatically share. I find it very odd how um, that impetus to see something beautiful and instantly kind of pop your face into the frame with it and take a picture. It's just, you know, it's wildly narcissistic. Um, Yeah, incredibly so. And also it has very uh, real consequences when people get it really wrong. I mean, just this morning I was writing about influencers who are uh, doing photo shoots at Mm. Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah. And videos have gone viral of them online, kind of, you know, adjusting their hair and adjusting their outfit in the street while protesters march past them. And it's just so wildly inappropriate. And it, it blows my mind that this we've got to that point where that's what people are now doing. It's it, it's so unconscious um, that that kind of slide into constant broadcasting, and I sort of understand the that this person the, when you're at Auschwitz or wherever doing a selfie, I, d- I don't think it's that 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 it's just a, you know humans have always diarized. You can just look at old manuscripts <laughs> i don't have any specific examples and i think this it we are constantly diarizing our lives now so you end up not engaging with the sadness or the importance you end up just trying to reflect your own self within it you write in the book that today's dating app culture makes us more indoorsy so I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but by that, I think you mean that we're more likely to meet someone on our own sofa by scrolling through an app than we are to actually go out and meet someone at a club because yeah. pe- let fewer people approach one another when they're out now, because I think because of dating app culture. So I wonder, do you think you would have met your husband in today's dating landscape? Oh, N- no. I don't know. It's, you know, I think most couples have this kind of 
romanticized idea of how they met, if, especially if you're like a decade in, like we are. And I would suggest that there's, it's, it's almost seen as a bit of a sadness if you meet someone and fall in love on an app. It's just so, un, it's so unfairy tale like and yet that is, you know, 60% of gay relationships, we might have to check that fact, have, have started online now. So I, I do think, I think part of the issue from, I don't think things with my husband would have run as smoothly because I think because of our scrolling culture and the idea that you, you are a scroll away from something else means that you're, we're kind of less likely to settle for anything because we constantly are told something better is around the corner. I think about my grandma buying a red jumper after the war, for example, <laughs> a made up example, but there's like two shops in, on her high street in the Isle of Wight. So you either get the red jumper from Woolies, which is a bit too long, or you get the red jumper from the knitting shop, which is a bit too red. And you just choose between the two of them. You just choose the one that works well. And I think in this culture, we are constantly scrolling for the perfect red jumper. We just won't stop until our kind of perfection is catered to. It's funny that you actually mentioned clothes because I was just going to say it's almost a bit like fast fashion, isn't it? Because yeah. you've, got, you've got dating apps, which is, you know, swipe left on one person, another person immediately comes up. It, fuse, it, it fuels this disposable culture yeah like you said whereby you know you never really commit to one person because you know that another person is just around the corner a, a, and a lot of my gay friends are very can't see how jaded they are by the scrolling and how detrimental it is to any kind of real connection you i think you know for me my relationship with my husband and my obsessions with men before that have like festered it's been quite it's quite fun to go round and round and have your thoughts all churning up and actually that is really disappearing because the guy's coming over for a shag as soon as you decide you fancy him <laughs> i think also with the with the disposable thing it does it does kind of foster a culture of callous behavior and you know that's mm. the reason why i think people ghost one another and why people, you know, breadcrumb all of these, all of these weird trends that there are breadcrumbing, orbiting all of these awful behaviors that people exhibit on dating apps. And I wonder if you think there's a way to kind of overcome that and overcome these behaviors that are now so ingrained in us. And, you know, if we think about how long dating apps have been around for approaching 10 years of Tinder mm. in two years time. Um, so yeah, do you think there's a way to overcome that? Oh. Good question. I f it just seems very callous. It is callous and ghosting is, just seems like the worst thing you could do. Not, well, <laughs> not ever, but yeah. In um, dating, in dating, it's brutal, isn't it? it I mean, is, it's happened to me loads of times. And, yeah. you know, you have no idea that it's coming because a lot of the time you're kind of having this flirty conversation and it feels like it's going really well, but you have no idea what's going on in that other person's head. They could be in a relationship with someone else and still be on a dating app. Studies show that there are still loads of people on dating apps when they're in relationships. I think there's, we've just reached this point where these apps are designed to be sticky, to keep us involved. It's a bit like the dieting industry. It doesn't really work if you, if you lose all the weight and 
there's no the industry runs itself out if it's successful and i think it wants to keep you dating and sniffing each other's bums like dogs but there's a level at which the gamification of it has meant that you are trying to win a game of sorts a bit like dungeons and dragons and you just have another life it's not really it's not that real uh because it's so it's just this flat screen in the same way you die online you just come back to life and date again <laughs> yeah no that's yeah. a really good point it does feel like a game I mean the swiping thing in itself is like playing and I yeah. have a lot of friends who will just be going through a dating app just because it's something to fill an evening with but because of that you almost then you dehumanize the users that you're swiping past and talking to because like you said they're just on a they're just a face on a screen they're just a they're just a profile yeah, I think it's interesting that Grindr this week have disabled their ethnicity filter, which just seems like the most outrageous thing to have developed in the first place. Yeah, um, so what was the filter? It was, I'm looking for a It was white basically, it will only show, yeah, you basically choose a race or several wow. races and you will only be de- delivered for people that have clipped those races. <laughs> it's That's just so bizarre. I don't think... I don't, I don't, I don't think that's um, a feature on other apps. I wonder if it's just on Grindr that that was a thing. I think I people think. are just, I think like anything, um, you, it's like an SEO thing that people just want to narrow their, their options because we have this infinite option at our fingertips but it's actually just straight up racist. So bye, ethnicity filter, <laughs> bon voyage. Yeah, good riddance. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In the book, you write about sex apps uh, versus dating apps. I want to know what the difference is. Well, for me and my understanding of Grindr, 
I just think it's the pornification of everything. And I think Grindr, this, this, this way, that, I think it's impossible to distill between, for anyone, what you, what you are, how you are online and what you are being shown all the time and what your actual desire system is. I think they start to merge really quickly. And I would say if you're constantly looking for, on Grinder, for example, at torso, 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 you now see that on Instagram, torso. So I talk about kind of torso culture. I think there's a thing for gay men in the 70s, you know, if you weren't pretty or handsome or cute, there's very little you could do about it. But these days, it doesn't really matter what your face is like, because you can tone your body to a certain degree and still be fishing on these apps. That's interesting. The dating app profile thing I wanted to talk to you about, because obviously it's, it's, it's quite similar to Instagram now in terms mm. of the way that you curate yourself. Obviously the context is different. You know, someone on a dating app is specifically looking for, you know, love or sex or whatever. Mm. Whereas someone on Instagram is just trying to project a version of themselves. What do you think? Do you think there is a difference between the way that we present ourselves on those two different platforms? Because obviously on a dating app profile, you do select a certain amount of photos you have a bio like you do on instagram mm. you know you might you might put your height in your dating app profile you might put your height on your instagram bio what do you think the difference is between those two and i suppose the lies that we tell on each yeah. of them to ourselves uh, yeah exactly to ourselves look, isn't it that most men are at, like lie about their height on dating apps yeah, that's very, that's very common. I think women do too, though. I've got, I've got, um, I know that my, I mean, for example, when I was on dating apps, I'm five, six, I would put, I was five, seven. Yeah. And I have taller female friends who lie about their height and say they're actually shorter than oh, they are. It's really weird. I, I, I think, like I was saying, it's very hard to work out whether what you're, whether you are just projecting your own desires or you are filling in a mold of what you think other people desire and i think that's that that tension is always there and i also i just think on a on, on instagram specifically you're much more on instagram there's this kind of lack of i think we because we're also kind of hyper individualized we can see influencers curating their feeds and we think of ourselves as above it because we think of our own personal experience as being much more enriched and there's actually no real difference we're just uh, you know this idea of being a brand each person is their own brand this idea that you are just you are seeing nuances in the way that you're expressing yourself that isn't too influencery or to something else but it's still the same level of of careful curation of your best angle and your best self i think a lot of people want to project their best self but i would say on a dating app you're trying to lure mates <laughs> it's quite it's quite feral isn't it it is yeah. you're, you're you're trying to it's like you're peacocking you know you're trying to show your best feathers yeah absolutely. And i think the issue with that yeah. is that it then gets the relationship or, you know, that comes out of that. Mm. It starts from a point of inauthenticity and then it's up to you to, over, to both kind of overcome that and get yeah. to a level where you find something authentic between the two of you. 
yeah, I, think I, think, intimacy, I think that's hard. It's a really hard and scary thing. And I think these apps offer you sexual intimacy, but without any of the, of the exposure of your real, who you really are. So that must be a bit of a head fuck for anyone who is like, I'm having loads of sex and it's working. And I chat, I talk to people a bit shittily on this app. I'm really, really, really sassy on this app and it works for me. But in real life, I just, just normal. I want to, I want to conclude by asking you a bit about the two types of love that you talk about in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. So the first one is the kind of love that makes you cry a lot and feel Mm -hmm. very alive. So I would say that's probably like a passionate kind of fervid type of love. And then the other is the love that makes you feel totally safe. So I wonder if you think the rise of online dating kind of pushes us more towards the former because it is so much more superficial. Yeah, there's just something about it that it's, 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 I think the traditional model was that like, that's how you love in your teens and it's chaotic and re- and destructive, but incredibly thrilling. And then you settle down later on. But I know a lot of older people that are having completely chaotic, overly passionate, wild relationships that are un- unsustainable and exhausting. Um, I would say that the culture is definitely I would say, you, you know, when I, I don't want to harp on about Love Island since it's been years, years since I've watched it, but there was, a, there was a bit with Danny Dyer and her boyfriend and, and they had been getting on for the whole series and they were encouraged to fall out because drama is what people want to watch. And actually, my relationship with my husband, the, the, least, the less dramatic it is, the better it, the better it is. And I think we are conditioned to kind of seek out drama and see that as the fulfilling part of a relationship to feel shit and stressed and completely like, who am I? (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. We we romanticize the torture and the unrequited love and all of those horrible things in love. We see them as like the most rewarding, which is so backwards. Oh yeah. And you would, I, I think, I don't know, being married for me was never about, um, I don't know, we're quite pragmatic and that's not to say, it makes it sound so unloving to say that we agree to work on anything as a duo. It sounds like a business relationship, but actually I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fiction around being married and a lot of expectation that is about uh, just this kind of passionate, I've made it sound like I'm in a very dispassionate marriage, but there's all this idea of your wedding day being this thing that you're building up to and then it's happily ever after. I think yeah. I've, I've made it sound like we're in quite a boring marriage, but I think that for me is where the the safety of being with someone who isn't pushing your buttons for the sake of it to feel alive is actually creates so much security and so much grounding. And when we got married, we knew what our marriage was going to be. I said this in my speech. We were very sure about what our relationship was and what it needed, but we had absolutely no idea what a wedding should be. And I think that it speaks to that kind of conditioning of, I would say women, but, but straight people on this wedding day like girls are asked about their wedding day when they're 
ditty little thing, their little dots on your wedding day, what the dress you'll wear, the kids you'll have. So I think for us, we knew it was very difficult to really get our head around what a wedding would be, the commitment and the... Also, I think relationships are so private, despite this kind of online publicity, the way that you are with each other, intimately, sexually, just gap, like in the morning over a cup of tea, that is very different to a kind of public declaration of love in front of everyone you know. And I've, it took me three, four years to get my head around that being something that I could do. I was like, but this is private. Why are we going to say it in front of these other people? So I think there's a level at which you, that, that you, we are conditioned to expect the EastEnders love, the duff-duffs every, every other day, that that's what love is meant to be. And I think hopefully I'm in a relationship that has longevity because it doesn't thrive on drama of, of deliberate drama. I think that's such a good point. It kind of harks back to something that we spoke about actually in our episode with Juno Dawson. We were talking about mm. Sex and the City and we were talking about how the kind of love that's romanticised in that programme is the one with Mr Big, the really torrid, Absolutely. tumultuous relationship. Yeah. And I know that has had a big impact on my love life. <laughs> yeah, he's so toxic, but Carrie is too. So we're, She we're... is, she is toxic, <laughs> but she also has such cool clothes. I think the thing about, um, I can talk about Sex and the City forever, but <laughs> Carrie is that we all want uh, realistic characters and she's quite a realistic character. She fucks yeah. up all the time. She cheats on people. She sleeps with her, her married ex-boyfriend. And I think we, we resent her for being realistic in, that, in, in being completely flawed. Mm. Oh, yeah. God, it's such a good show. <laughs> 20 years yeah. later, still yeah. so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, right, we should, we should head on to our final segment of the show. This is our Lessons in Love segment. So this is the part of the programme where I ask every guest to share something they've learned from their own relationship experiences and how it shaped their understanding of love moving forward. So, Raven, what is your lesson in love for us today? Really difficult because... A relationship is such a like a robber ross it just you just keep moving through it you don't really have like lightning bolts i think for us you know what's my lesson in love um i guess we should go back to this idea of drama for me i'm most in love with my husband when we are catering for each other looking after each other rather than fighting or shagging so there's a level at which quiet dinners in Soho when you're just there to be hungry, not there to stare lovingly into each other's eyes. For me, that is like the money shot. It's all about sharing a life with someone rather than creating this kind of scary vacuum of stress. You're, you know, so I don't know if that's a lesson, but this idea... No, it is. It is. I think it's sharing, yeah, sharing a human experience with another person without having to worry about how you're being perceived, I guess. Yeah. Well, this idea of being your best self, actually, just being yourself <laughs> and being like, I'm a bit grumpy today. That's a, that is a good way to be. Mm. Or just being really hangry and then funny. Oh, yeah just getting really aggy and then having like the first mouthful of noodles and then suddenly all of that anger dissipates and you're just like, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. I'm sorry. I was such an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, for me, I would love 
to put my phone down more that would definitely help a lot of a lot of different things but what do you spend the most time on instagram Spend a lot of time on instagram i you know i love i I love chatting to people whether i know them or not i really thrive off get getting like off, off the chat and i find it hard to just leave a message unanswered quite so yeah that was a good and bad thing yeah i'm the same actually i um and to a point where when I, when I was single and I was dating people, it, it would always come across as overly keen because yeah. I would reply to someone immediately just because that's how I use my phone. Yeah. But obviously it then gives the impression that I'm super, super into them and yeah. it puts a lot of people off. But I know that if I don't reply to a message as soon as I see it, I just won't reply. Yeah, I, well, I would say I would be absolutely terrible at dating today because I am a person who is not very shielded in what they really think. So I would just, I would just, it will become, I think it, I would suggest that I'm quite an intense person to be, to be in a relationship with. <laughs> That's a lovely point to end on. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm an intense person to be with. <laughs> I'm very intense, yeah. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a new listener to this show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or anywhere else. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.